TED Audio Collective. Hi, TED listeners. This is your host, Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Today, we're listening to a conversation between Emily and Amelia Nagoski, co-authors of a deeply insightful book on burnout, and TED curator, Chloe Shasha Brooks. The Nagoski sisters will share their advice for how to understand and combat burnout. Then stay after the talk to hear how burnout affects healthcare workers, why this is a problem that should concern everyone, and what we can do to fix it. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on fitness trends. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in active lifestyle, healthy eating, wearable tech, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas that you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. The best place to see stars is at home with Prime Video. Get everything included with Prime, like Mr. and Mrs. Smith, starring Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. Rent or buy hits like Mean Girls, starring Renee Rapp. Or add-on channels like Max for the HBO original Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. You've never seen so many stars in one place. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for this podcast comes from The Wonderful Company. If that name doesn't sound familiar to you, you probably know the pistachios that come from this company. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Get snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. I love the various wonderful pistachio flavors. So in addition to the original flavor, I'm particularly fond of the salt and vinegar. And I keep little packets of them in my car so that I can eat and get some protein on the run. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Let's dive right in. You co-authored a book called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And the inspiration for this book was actually based on a personal experience that you had with Burnout, Amelia. Can you tell us more about that experience? Well, it began uh, with me going to school. While I was getting my doctorate of musical arts in conducting, I ended up in the hospital and I had abdominal pain, which they diagnosed as stress-induced, told me to go home and relax. And in fact, I had no idea what to do. But luckily, I have a sister who has a PhD in health behavior. So when I'm in the hospital, just in pain, laying there, not even really understanding how I got there or why, and I honestly didn't even believe that stress could cause physiological symptoms. And Emily said, how did you not know that? I'm a conductor and a singer. I have learned in my musical training to express my feelings with my body, to use my body as a vehicle for expressing emotion. And it occurred to me that if it was true that I didn't just have those feelings on stage, I had them all the time, my whole life. And if that was true, 
Wow, that was a lot of feelings. So I didn't even want to believe this was true. But once Emily brought me a huge stack of peer-reviewed science, I couldn't deny anymore, yes, stress manifests in the body and can turn into symptoms of illness. So, okay, well, let's start with some definitions. What are the three components of burnout? So according to the original technical definition from Herbert Freudenberger in the 1970s, burnout Uh, which originally was inclusive only of the workplace but has expanded now, involves depersonalization, where you separate yourself emotionally from your work instead of investing yourself and feeling like it's meaningful. Decreased sense of accomplishment, where you just keep working harder and harder for uh, less and less sense that what you are doing is making any difference. And emotional exhaustion... And while everyone experiences all three of these factors, over the 40 years since this original formulation, it turns out that, broadly speaking, for men, burnout tends to manifest as uh, depersonalization in particular. And for women, burnout tends to manifest as emotional exhaustion. So anyone can experience burnout, but your specific way of experiencing it is probably going to be different depending on who you are. And the factors that lead to burnout are not just professional ones. They are parenting and social activism and anything where you need to care and invest, where there are ongoing demands that are unmeetable expectations and unceasing demands. That is the formula, no matter what context it's in, for burnout. Your work is around the stress cycle and how we can complete it. So will you talk a little bit about that? Oh, yes. This is my favorite part. So the main thing people need to begin with is that there is a difference between your stressors, the things that cause your stresses, which is what Amelia was talking about, uh, the unmeetable goals and expectations, your family issues and money, those are your stressors. And then there's your stress, which is the physiological thing that happens in your body in response to any perceived threat. And it's largely the same no matter what the threat is. And evolutionarily, we know the threat response as being the fight, flight, freeze response intended to help us run away from a lion. So when you're being chased by a lion across the savannah of Africa, uh, what do you do? You run, right? (laughs) So you use all this energy that happened in your body, all this adrenaline and cortisol. Every body system has been activated to help with this escape from the perceived threat. Your digestion and your immune system and your hormones, everything is focused on this one goal, including your cognition. Your problem solving is focused just on this one problem and it will not let go because your life is at stake. But you manage to get back to your village and the lion gives up and you jump up and down and shout and people come and listen to you tell the story and yog each other and the sun seems to shine brighter. And that is the complete stress response cycle. It has a beginning when you perceive the threat a middle where you do something with your body and an end where your body receives the signal that it has escaped from this potential threat and your body is now a safe place for you to be. Alas, we live in a world where the behaviors that deal with our stressors are no longer the behaviors that deal with the stress in our bodies. We are almost never chased by lions. Instead, (laughs) our stressors are the capital T, capital F future, or our children, or a commute <laughs> is like the classic example. The stressor, when, when people have commutes, uh, it's one of the most stressful parts of their lives. 
and your body activates the same adrenaline and cortisol and digestion and immune system. When you finally get home, right, you have dealt with your stressor. Do you suddenly jump up and down and feel grateful to be alive and you, the sun seems to shine brighter? No, because you've dealt with right. the stressor, but that does not mean that you've dealt with the stress itself. This is mm-hmm. excellent news because it means that you don't have to wait for your stressor to be gone before you can begin to feel better because you can deal with the stress while the stressor still exists. Good thing because most of our stressors are what are called chronic stressors that are there day after day, week after week, year after year. And I hope people are like, okay, so how do I complete the stress response cycle? And we have a list of like a dozen concrete, specific, evidence-based ways to help people deal with the stress response cycle, but just taking the example of a commute. You are, you get out of your car or you get off the bus and your shoulders are trying to be your earrings and you're grumpy and cranky and still thinking about the jerk who did I don't know what. And uh, what you do is jumping jacks in your driveway or you go for a long walk around the block, or you just tense every muscle in your body, standing outside your apartment door, holding your breath, tense, tense, tense for a slow count of 10. And even just that little bit of using your body is what communicates to your body that your body is now a safe place for you to be. You have to separate dealing with the stress from dealing with the thing that caused the stress. And this need to deal with the stress in a separate process from dealing with the things that cause your stress is why the doctors telling me to relax was not going to be an effective means of recovering from burnout. I had to deal with the stress in my body. And if, say, let's say you get out of your car and instead of doing jumping jacks, you just say, okay, I'm going to relax now. Relax now. (laughs) You relax. Not effective, right? You've relaxed, but you haven't you haven't changed your body's physiological state into one of safety. Totally. On a first question from the audience. Okay. From Facebook, someone asks, how do you know whether what you're experiencing is burnout or something else? Yeah, ask a medical professional for sure. And there's a lot of overlap between burnout and lots of other experiences. Uh, including depression and anxiety and grief and rage and repressed rage. We've all got it. So our layperson's definition of burnout is, as you said, that feeling of being overwhelmed and exhausted by everything you have to do while still worrying that you're not doing enough. If you feel like you are struggling even to get out of bed and get the basics done, that goes beyond burnout. Burnout is where you can show up for work, but you spend your whole day fantasizing about being at a different job. It's important to know that um, burnout is not a medical diagnosis. It's not a mental illness. It's a condition related to overwhelming Mm -hmm. stress. So it's not like it puts you in this different state where you're going to be, you know, trapped and you have to have 13 years of therapy and whatever. It just means that you need to be completing your stress response cycles. Work burnout is just such an important thing to talk about, I think, for so many. Um, and, and I'm curious if we can focus on that for a moment. Like, what are some of the earliest warning signs of professional burnout? Let's say there's two kinds of people. There's Emily people who are aware of what's going on in their bodies at all times. And if they have signs okay. of burnout... 
they notice it just right away because that's how they do. And then there's people like me who never know what their body is experiencing. I didn't notice I was burning out until I was literally in the emergency room. But one of the things that causes burnout is our inability to recognize the hard stuff welling up inside us. And the solution is to be able to turn toward the difficult feelings with kindness and compassion and say, oh, I feel stressed. I feel unreasonably angry right now. I'm so cranky. I wonder why that is. And instead of just trying to like tell yourself to relax, ask that feeling. Why are you there? What do you need from me? What has to change? One of the primary barriers to listening to your body is a fear of the uncomfortable feelings that are happening in your body. One of the things I say over and over, we say it over and over in burnout, is that feelings are tunnels. You have to go through the darkness to get to the light at the end, right? Feelings are tunnels. Stress is a tunnel. You got to go all the way through it. Not that the stress is bad for you. It's getting stuck in the middle that is bad for you. Never having an opportunity to take your body through the cycle. One of the reasons why people don't do that is because they feel afraid of their uncomfortable internal experiences. When I first started learning this stuff explicitly, we grew up in a family where uh, uncomfortable feelings were not allowed. And the idea that feelings were tunnels, I was just like, "Uh, I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure that uncomfortable feelings are caves with bats and rats and snakes and a river of poison. And if I begin to experience my uncomfortable feelings, I will be trapped forever in the dark with the rats and the bats. I began a practice of noticing when my body was experiencing a sensation, allowing it to be and allowing it to move all the way through. And as I practiced that with gentle emotions, I began to be able to practice it with more and more intense emotions, both positive and negative intense emotions. So that now when I'm confronted with big, difficult stuff, I trust that my body will go all the way through the feelings without uh, me being trapped in the dark with predators. And I started doing it 20 years after Emily did, but it's never too late. (laughs) You can always recover. How can you talk to your manager or supervisor about the fact that you're experiencing burnout and get real support? If you're in a workplace where you don't feel like you can say to your boss, my mammalian body is having mammalian needs and I need to adjust my work situation to accommodate the fact that uh, I live in a monkey suit, know that we consult all the time with gigantic corporations that are making active efforts to incorporate acknowledging people's emotional and physical needs checking in at every meeting saying where are you at asking people to become aware of and more clear and expressing uh, how they feel and promoting the idea that managers should be ready to cope when their supervisee comes in and has a bunch of feelings that they need to process and move through so it exists people are working on it i feel optimistic and i also know that there's a lot of workplaces that are trapped in this sort of like industrial, super patriarchal, rabidly individualistic uh, mindset where you just need to protect yourself against the toxic culture by creating a bubble of love at home where everyone in your household Mm -hmm. cares for your well-being as much as you care for theirs. How can people who feel truly stuck take a first step towards wellness? And, And how do you define wellness, too? 
We define wellness as the freedom to oscillate through all the cycles of being human, from effort to rest, from autonomy to connection. And we always say that the cure for burnout is not self-care, cannot be self-care. How can you be expected to self-care your way out of burnout? You can't. What you need is a bubble of love around you, people who care about your well-being as much as you care about theirs, who will turn toward you and say, you need a break. I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to step in in that way, or even just give you 15 minutes for you to yell about whatever the problems you feel at that moment and just be on your side and go, yeah, I can't believe that happened to you. I'm so on your side for 15 minutes. Just that can give you enough of a release to feel a little bit better to take one more step. The cure for burnout is not self-care. It is all of us caring for each other. We can't do it alone. We need each other. Making that happen in real life is, of course, easier said than done. Um, And one of the things that is my little reminder to myself is that when I feel like I need more grit, what I actually need is more help. And when I look at Amelia's life, and I think she needs more discipline, she needs more perseverance, she needs to work harder. What she actually needs is more kindness. That's the baseline culture change that's going to end burnout forever. And usually the next question people ask us is, I don't have anyone like that in my life. I am the leader. I am the one who's doing all of the things. And the solution for that is probably closer than you think. I mean, I grew up in a household where feelings were like not allowed and we were not close our whole lives. And then we started reading the research that said that connection and sharing support was the way out of burnout. And we started trying and we like broke down this 30-year barrier of you know, societal and family pressure not to like feel our feelings around each other. And it turns out that if you feel like you're isolated, there's probably someone on the other side of that wall, it turns out, who wants just as much as you to connect with someone else. And we've been isolated because we've been told that it's it's stronger to be independent. That's not true. It's we're going to be healthier and stronger when we work together there's probably someone already waiting who also wants the kind of relationship that you are desiring. I think that's just so nice to hear too in the pandemic when we're all feeling so isolated. But we have one final question we'd like to bring up. Okay, what can you do about burnout if you are a teacher where every day is filled with stressors? I taught school for five years. That's how long I made it. I burned out after four years and then I pushed through one more year. If you have any possible means of reducing the everyday stressors by getting involved in administrative decisions, that's great, but that's almost never the case. The thing number one is to complete the stress response cycle. You can exercise if that works for you. A good night's sleep will do it. How do I get a good night's sleep when I have to get up at 5 a.m.? You have to go to bed earlier, and that means that your whole family has to give you permission to go to bed earlier. They have to cherish your sleep the way you cherish theirs. You can use your imagination and imagine yourself pummeling all of the stressors into the ground, and you recover from that because your imagination doesn't know the difference between pummeling the stressors in your imagination versus pummeling them in real life. And you surround yourself with a bubble of love other teachers who can support you and tell you, yes, 
You deserve care. You are a valuable, educated, wonderful human being. You are not just, you know, Darth Vader dealing with these kids. You are a valuable person who deserves resources, who deserves care, who deserves love, who deserves freedom to oscillate. Thank you both so much for joining us together and for teaching us about burnout and the stress cycle. This has been really illuminating. So thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks. Hey, this is your host, Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. This talk reminded me of when I was a medical trainee and I proposed burnout as the topic of my final residency presentation that I had to give. And at first, my advisors balked. Back then, most people in medicine weren't openly talking about it. Maybe they didn't understand burnout or realize just how serious and pervasive it is. But today, burnout is unfortunately very well known and widely experienced by people in every profession. Yet people still misunderstand when they're experiencing it and what to do about it. The Nagoskis mentioned that fixing burnout is a collective responsibility rather than an individual one. But in many jobs, it's even more than that. It's actually a structural problem that requires internal policy changes. And this is especially prevalent in the US healthcare system, even more so since the pandemic began. COVID-19 has made existing issues of healthcare worker burnout worse. Based on numerous studies, we know that the mental health and well-being of many medical staff are truly suffering. As a physician myself, I know far too well how important this is and just how often it gets ignored. For example, a recent nationwide survey included more than 20,000 frontline medical workers, and the results of this study were particularly alarming. 38% of respondents reported experiencing anxiety or depression during the pandemic, and 49% suffered burnout. Now, burnout is different than depression, but it is a risk factor for it, and you can have it at the same time as depression. Another survey of more than 1,000 healthcare workers conducted at the Yale School of Public Health found that nearly one quarter of the participants showed signs of probable PTSD. And when the American Association of Critical Care Nurses surveyed 6,000 of their members this year, 66% said that they had considered leaving their jobs because of pandemic-related burnout. This is a huge problem. When healthcare workers are experiencing burnout on an unprecedented, massive scale, that puts us all at risk. We tend to think of burnout as an individual's personal health issue. But when the individual experiencing burnout is your medical care provider— that can affect your health too. It turns out burnout makes us more likely to make mistakes. Burned out physicians suffer from impaired attention, memory, and executive function, just as any burned out individual would. Patients stay in the hospital longer and they're less satisfied with their care when their doctor is burned out. And when nurses and doctors leave the profession, it makes it harder to find care and forces patients to keep switching to new providers. This whole situation probably doesn't sound too great to you, as somebody who sometimes needs healthcare, right? So what should the higher-ups, the doctor's bosses, and their bosses do to fix this situation? Well, for starters, hospital leaders need to understand burnout is not something that they can just write off as a personal problem. Because for the most part, the factors that lead to burnout are largely systemic. For a physician, things like 
numbers of patients, organizational support, workplace culture even, are all beyond their control, but all huge factors in burnout. That's why it's important to see burnout as a structural problem instead. To put an even finer point on this, a 2020 survey by the New England Journal of Medicine's Insight Council asked physicians what leaders could do to help prevent burnout. Over and over, survey participants cited despair over a lack of autonomy. Autonomy at work basically comes down to how much freedom you have to do your job within basic guidelines. More workplace autonomy can help prevent burnout, no matter what you do for a living. When our managers afford us more autonomy, this also has been shown to improve job satisfaction, boost employee engagement, and increase retention. More workplace autonomy can help prevent burnout, no matter what you do for a living. When our managers afford us more autonomy, this has also been shown to improve job satisfaction, boost employee engagement, and increase retention. And more autonomy also leads people to be able to do work that's more meaningful. And that protects against burnout, too. There are some simple things that the organization you work for, and especially medical facilities, can do to create more autonomy for their employees and help prevent burnout. These include empowering employees to set their own schedules, design their own processes, provide input on organizational goals, choose their benefits, take ample time off to rest and recover when they need it, and provide more access to mental health resources. Of course, providing medical workers with more control is just one piece of the puzzle, but it's an important one that can be implemented rather quickly. And we don't have time to waste. Supporting medical workers and caring for the carers should be a long-term top priority for all of us. After all, their health affects everyone else's too. I'd like to think that if I proposed a residency presentation on burnout now, everyone would nod their heads in recognition. But then I'd hope they'd go a step further and ask, what can we do to solve it? Thanks so much for listening today. This episode was produced by Transmitter Media with help from Mitchell Johnson and fact-checked by Vanessa Garcia-Woodworth. And special thanks to Grace Rubenstein, Anna Phelan, Sammy Case, Maria Lagius, and Colin Helms. I'm Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. Stay well, and I'll talk to you next week.